0: everyone welcome to save news tv i'm az hubbard your host thank you so much for allowing us into your homes tonight is a very 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 special night we're talking about some things that are not just our community but we're going to focus on our community and our guest tonight is ruby brown herring welcome miss herring how are you doing tonight I'm doing great, AZ. Thank you for having me. Oh, great. Um, Could you share with our viewing audience, our listening audience, um, exactly who you are Mm -hmm. and tell them a little bit about your history, please? Sure. So I'm Ruby Brown Herring. I
1: live in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I was born and raised in eastern North Carolina, Sampson County. Um, But I work with companies, nonprofits, government agencies, to create strategies that support mental health in the workplace. That's my primary job. Um, But I'm most passionate about reducing stigma and increasing mental health awareness, particularly within the black communities, Um, because I have lived experience myself as within my family. um, And that's kind of been my motivation for doing the work that I do.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, one thing uh, that we know that's been happening here recently is there has been, you know, there's there's been an increase in suicide in the black community. Mm-hmm. However, we're seeing it more to headlining mm-hmm. um, uh, stars and everything that's, that is making the news. And I wanted to, to clear a couple of things up. The reason why I refer to, you know, a lot of people say African-American and I say black in this particular situation is because Number one, everyone is an african American, and there there are plenty of black people of our hue mm-hmm. that is that are affected by this, and so I want to be inclusive of everyone that is of our hue because they're counted in that number that we're getting ready to discuss tonight
1: right, yeah, and I think so, that's important that 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 you frame it that way um. sure.
0: Yes. Well, one thing I wanted to um, also ask you to to begin the dialogue is Mm -hmm. we have, um, like I said, there's a lot of headliners of people that have um, recently committed suicide Mm -hmm. and it is, and the number is growing and the statistics Mm -hmm. are, you know, terrifying. Mm -hmm. And at this point we have A lot. As a matter of fact, the increase of the African American community is high at a higher rate than Mm -hmm. at the other communities. As a matter of fact, there's a decrease, is it not, with other communities versus the African American communities?
1: I think we're seeing the numbers shift based upon a couple of factors within that so for instance when we look at suicide data across the board we put everybody in the pot together um, the highest rate overall is in actually in older white males but where we're seeing the uptick is within the black community particularly with black males um, and in the latino community within um, latino females and so it depends on how you kind of um dig into the data but overall it's white males but within the black community it's absolutely
0: black 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 males young black males okay. at that right and the is the the number as far as the percentage increase is increases grown more rapidly than within any other communities is that correct or incorrect? Yeah, it is.
1: We are are seeing that in some of the data that's being released nationally. And I think part of that reason has been when we look at um, all of the things that particularly Black folks have dealt with when we look at social injustices over the last several years. Now, are
0: you finding that the one thing that's important is gentleness with discussing mental illness and suicide because I you know you and I had a conversation and like mm-hmm. I stated I thank God that I've never had those thoughts or mm-hmm. been in that type of situation mm-hmm. and sometimes because people have not had those thoughts or been in them that situation personally mm-hmm. that sometimes we overlook yeah. signs Could you elaborate on that, please, on how to, to see the signs and how to.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I think is important to, to, as we start this conversation um, is to really, you know, particularly in the black community, there's a huge myth around mental illness and whether or not it's, it impacts us, but there's even a bigger myth around suicide in the black community and all the stigmas around, um, I know growing up in East North Carolina, you're going to hell if you kill yourself. And so the data doesn't lie. Um, and so knowing that when we look at that data, our folk, especially our young black males, are, are, are impacted greatly. So I think some of the things to think about and, and, the, and the, really when we're looking at stigma, I mean, looking at some of those signs, um, warning signs of suicide, it's key to understand it's going to look different from, from person to person.
0: Okay. And
1: individuals that are considering suicide are good at hiding it. And so I'll give you a personal example um, in, in a second. But, but some of those signs and symptoms that we may see is that individuals are talking about it. They're talking about death. They're talking about dying. Um, they may say things like, um, nobody would miss me if I'm gone. right? Or the world would be a better place without me. And so just being in tune with what folks are saying um other signs and symptoms that we may notice are people giving away their personal belongings. So there's a there's a mm. young young woman in Charlotte that does a lot of work around suicide prevention based upon her own experience with suicide prevention with with suicide attempts and her aunt recognized that that she was truly struggling when she started to give away her shoes. She, her prized possession were her heels and she started giving her heels away and her aunt was like wait a minute something's not right mm-hmm. and so paying attention to things like that can make, make the difference between someone living or dying um, and so i mentioned that because it's just, it's a it's a story that i think a lot of us can identify with if you have um, an individual in your life that says you know if anything ever happens to me this is where all my stuff is. So like my mom was big on that. She's like, if anything ever happens to me, you've got this drawer with this envelope with this stuff. So I didn't take that as her being suicidal. It was her saying, you know, here's where my stuff is. So y'all know how to, how to take care of stuff once I leave this world. But if you have a person that's constantly talking about paperwork, or let me make sure I've got my insurance lined up. Let me make sure I've got this lined up and kind of getting their affairs in order. That's something to pay attention to. And I think sometimes what happens is that, Depending upon our relationship with the person that may be suicidal, we may or may not see those signs, right? And so an example is, um, I have twin girls that are 19, um, and one of my daughters was diagnosed with anxiety and depression at the age of 10, um, right after my mother passed, and her and my mother were really tight, and so I started noticing behavior issues in her. Um, And my husband and I were like, okay, this is weird. And so I grew up with, okay, they're either going to grow out of it or you're going to beat them out of it, right? And so I noticed all these signs and symptoms acting out at home and whatnot. And I just thought it was her being a difficult preteen. And she actually was suicidal and I missed it. Thankfully, she didn't attempt, but she had a plan. And so the reason that I share that is because – As black folk, we often see the behaviors, negative behaviors that our children exhibit, acting up, talking back, throwing stuff. She was doing all of that at home, but at school she was fine. And then sometimes you may see it in school with your child, but at home Mm. they're fine. And so just paying attention to those patterns and behavior changes and asking questions, because oftentimes what we found is that individuals, especially individuals that survived a suicide attempt, They've said if somebody had just asked me, I would have told them, but I couldn't find the words to say to them. I'm thinking about killing myself. And so what that says to me, AZ, is that, you know, oh. they are in a deep, dark place. And there are people who truly believe that the world would be better. Their families would be better without them here. And so if we think about in a person that has a cancer diagnosis and they're going through chemo and things are really bad. And we're supporting them, we're taking care of them, checking on them, coming by, doing yard work, you know, groceries, bringing food. But are we doing the same thing for folks that may be experiencing a mental health challenge or experiencing a suicide attempt? And so just paying attention to those patterns, um, when you notice something is different, it may not necessarily mean that that's what's going on. But you notice and just speak up to that person because it says to them, I see you. Because oftentimes they don't think, even though they have a, a world of folks rallying around them, they don't think people are paying attention.
0: Apostle Carmina Cox that is joining us tonight For um, those that normally uh, tune in on Wednesday nights. You all know who she is. And... Um, We are just so excited to have her join us tonight also because um, Apostle uh, Carmina is the one who got me in contact with you. How are you doing today, Apostle Carmina? Okay, we're going to let her get back in. Okay, but go ahead. um.
1: Yeah, so, so I think that, you know, when we think about it is paying attention to when things change when when things change within a person because when we look at again going back to the data and for folks to say oh you know suicide doesn't won't won't impact my family what we know is that suicide is the second leading cause of death in young people 15 15 to to 25 10 to 25 mm-hmm. by, by. so second leading cause only behind automobile accidents. So mm-hmm. it's happening. When we look at 35 to 44 year olds, it's the fourth leading cause. And it's the fifth leading cause of folks 45 to 54. So it's it's in the top five for ages oh. 10 to 54. And so knowing that it's, it's important that we have conversations like this so that we know what to look for, but also how to have those, how to talk to folks, right? And One of the things I hear people say sometimes is, oh, I don't want to ask them about suicide because that's going to put it in their head. And that is absolutely not the case. People that are thinking about killing themselves, they're already thinking about it, whether you mention it or not. And so by asking them, intentionally saying, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about um, taking your life? Right? Are you thinking about dying by suicide? Those questions are important to be that blunt because if you say, are you thinking about harming yourself? That can mean anything, right? Okay. And so being intentional in that language. And then the last thing I'll say about the language piece is um, notice I said died by suicide. And so one of the things that we see a lot in this, in, in the suicide um, survivors community and, and research community is changing the language because trying to reduce that stigma, we commit crimes. We commit adultery. We commit sins, right? And so, saying um, "died by suicide" re- removes some of that stigma and 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 removes some of that wrong feeling about um, an individual that has died. Because if you die, folks that have died by cancer, we say they died by cancer, not that they committed cancer, right? And so, mm-hmm. looking at changing that language um, as we're talking about that as well.
0: Oh, okay. So one thing i wanted to ask you while we while we're in that line of questioning mm-hmm. is now one thing uh some people die by die by suicide but they um you know either the either the police i uh, put themselves in um put themselves in a compromising position
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, to be harmed. You know, Mm -hmm. that happens, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, everywhere. Have you found that to be the case? You know, whether it's the police or whether it is using um, trains, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. And so that really kind of falls under, um, death by lethal means, right? And so, when we look at suicides and how people die, um, it can range anywhere from um, suicide by cop, which is kind of what you're talking about. It could also mm-hmm. so jumping in front of a train is that's just a lethal mean. It's it's the same thing as um, someone that takes a, an intentional overdose or someone that shoots themselves to kill themselves. And so that's just really how the method that they choose to. To end their life
0: by. Okay, so but is is it still technically suicide? Mm-hmm. It is, it, depending upon okay. the
1: person's reason. So w- what what we have what research has shown around, especially individuals um, that are that died that that die due to suicide by cop, um, when they've gone back and looked at their mental history, mental health history there has been some history around suicidal behaviors um, and leading Mm -hmm. up to their death. Usually there's some type of mental health crisis that has happened. Um, And so there are many cases where that is still deemed suicide. There are also cases where they're not really sure because that history isn't present.
0: Okay. Now at that point, are you seeing are, do they begin to exhibit the same behaviors uh, if they're in that type of situation prior to them putting themselves in that situation for that to happen? Right. So, so primarily what happens when an individual as is. As far un- as what I'm saying is selling their clothes, yeah. uh, doing things of that nature. Right.
1: Yeah. Typically there are some signs that has been exhibited over time. The, the, the tricky part is who saw those signs. So for instance, with me and my daughter, because I was looking at it from a mama lens, I missed it. I just thought she was being um a disruptive child. In other situations mm-hmm. like some of those that you're talking about, it dep- if it's from the if it's their their medical doctor that has noticed some of these behaviors, they're looking at it from a totally different lens and they may see some of those signs and symptoms. So it really just depends on who sees those signs. One group may see one type of sign and symptom from one person and another group may see the, see that same person, but th- see some different signs and symptoms.
0: Okay. Apostle Carmina, how are you doing this evening? Okay. Okay. Um, but anyway, now let's go on. When you see those signs, and, and I was going to ask you that question when you said um, to be bold and mm-hmm. just ask them straight up, uh, are you considering committing suicide? That's that's very, you um, know, for a lot of people, that's very mm-hmm. difficult for them mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, it is hard.
1: And so there's a training that I do called Mental Health First Aid, and we actually practice that because it is hard whether it's the first time you've asked that person or the it's the 10th time you've asked them because it's always what if they say yes what do I do right and so in in when we look at suicide prevention uh, we really speak closely to as hard as it is for you ask it because we want to be direct and we don't want to leave anything to chance. And so that then takes the guessing game out of it for us. And it takes the guessing game out of it from, from the person that may be experiencing the suicidal ideations. And so it's a simple, it's a yes, no question. They can answer relatively easy. And so in this particular training that I'm talking about, we have folks practice so that you can feel what, how your body is going to respond to asking that question, even though it's a practice um role play all the participants in the trainings that I've done over the years have said it was uncomfortable because it's like what do what do I do if they say yes and so thinking about how your body may react to that we again it's it's uncomfortable but for me it it come it comes down to this is my uncomfortableness be worth saving somebody's life and for me the answer is yes. If, if, If if it takes me being scared to death to ask somebody, and I've had to ask my child and my husband this question, and it hasn't gotten easier either time that I've asked it, but I'd rather do that and be uncomfortable for that moment than walk away from a situation where I could have, could potentially never see that person again.
0: Now, what if you run into a situation where the person is hesitant to answer yes or no, what 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 would be the next step? as far as your professional opinion would be. yeah. So what I would say
1: is if you're not comfortable asking the question or if you find that the person is hesitant, to reach out to those crisis numbers that you have scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Anybody can call the suicide prevention hotline. Anybody can use that crisis text line. And so what that does, it says, so if I'm engaging with you, I can say, okay, I'm either afraid to ask AZ this question or AZ is is hesitant to, to be honest with me. And I'll say, you know, I'm really worried about you because I've noticed this. And then I talk about the changes that I've noticed. And then I say, because I want to make sure you're safe, I'm going to call a trained mental health professional that can determine if you need immediate assistance at this time. And then call that crisis suicide um, prevention hotline, call that, um, use that crisis text line, and then have the mental health professional do the do the full assessment as to whether or not that person then needs to immediately go to crisis treatment center or whatever the next steps may be. But that's that's the thing. I think having the courage to at least tell the person, "I'm concerned about you," and then reach out to the trained professionals. Right. That's what those those resources are so right. great. And I've had to call the suicide prevention lifeline with my husband, and I've said, "This is my name. This is my husband. This is what's happened." And they asked me a couple of questions and then they in turn said, okay, we want to talk to him. And then they asked him a couple of screening questions and then gave the phone back to me and said, okay, this is what we need to do next. Um, So take the, take the biggest lift out of your hands and reach out to those trained professionals on those hotlines because then they can provide you with the guidance of what to do next.
0: Okay. All right. That, that sounds good because Sometimes people don't know, you know, if they say yes, they might, you know, freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't I don't know how I would react if yeah. someone said yes. This is what I'm considering doing. Right. Yeah. Um. So the directness, regardless of how uncomfortable it is, is critical. Yeah. Is that? It's,
1: it is absolutely critical. And, and then the other thing I'll add to A Z is there are times when it's when folks all they can think of, I can't think of the crisis t- text line, I can't figure it, find it in my phone, I can't find the prevention hotline, and the only number that people can think about is nine one one. And so what I tell folks is if you have to call nine 9-1, one, particularly nine one one, particularly in communities of color, make sure that you're giving the dispatcher as much information as possible, letting them know that you're dealing with an individual that's experiencing a mental health crisis that they um, have have expressed some suicidal um, ideations or concerns so that they have as much information coming in to the situation. Because there are also um, police departments and, and sheriff's departments also have what's called crisis intervention trained officers. And those are officers that have gone through 40 hours of mental health related training. And so they come into mental health crisis situations in a totally different way than just a Typical 911 um, distress call. And so th- it just if you have to call 911, giving as much information as possible, and especially in communities of color, letting the person in distress know, you know, I want to make sure you're safe. I'm calling 911, but I'm going to stay here with you. I'm going to make sure that they know that you're experiencing a mental health crisis so that then that doesn't escalate some of the distress that they may be feeling.
0: Yes. And also in in communities where maybe um, the officers are not trained right, in that it could end up in a very um, unpleasant yeah. ending yeah. for what right. you were initially trying to do. Right. Yeah. Is that correct?
1: That, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And that's why I think it's key that if you have to call is that you give as much information as possible because North Carolina is, um, in particular, but a lot of the states in the US have CIT offices. It's a national initiative that has been rolled out through most of the law enforcement agencies in the country. And so they may not have a, a huge number, but they at least have a couple that they can send out on those calls. And so that's why it's critical to give as much information as possible um, when they do have to call 911.
0: Yes, because I was so disheartened when um, I was doing research Mm -hmm. on the topic. I went to our county government um, website. It had a link for mental health or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it had two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. And it did not have not even the national suicide prevention hotline Mm -hmm. number, lifeline number it Mm -hmm. did not have any information on how to do anything and i shared with you i was downtown today Mm -hmm. and that was part of the reason was to go let our elected officials know Mm -hmm. that if someone is online and they're looking for help they can't get it from you and so everybody i would encourage you to look at the websites of your city your county and to uh if you don't see any information up there you know, call them up. You know, yeah. send yeah. an email. Do whatever you need yeah. to do to get them. I mean, it's just a matter of updating the website. I mean, the, right. the it's it's one. It's not even um twenty five characters. You know what I'm saying? A hundred yeah. characters, right? they yeah. could put that information up there,
1: right? And and and, and the mean, neat thing like, too with the prevention suicide prevention hotline in July, that's going to become a three digit number nine eight eight. So you don't have to okay. remember the one eight hundred yeah two seven three eight two five five in july and it it depends upon re- geographic locations when in july it happens but sometime in the in the month of july of this year that number is going to go to a three digit number 988 which is helpful because not everybody can remember i even struggle and i've been using that number through for this training that i do for almost 10 years now and i still can't remember is it 1-800 or is it 188 and so having right. just a three digit number that folks can call um, is going to be helpful too. the one thing that I add about the, the suicide prevention lifeline that I think is key is that when you call. So if you're calling from a cell phone in particular, the you're routed to the um, suicide prevention hotline folks closest to the area code that you're calling from. So I used to have a nine one zero area codes for my cell phone mm. because I had it for my back home where I grew up. And so if I were to call from that number, they would route me, their resources closest to the Sampson County area. And so if you're, so I know a lot of folks have varying um, cell phone numbers. So if you're calling, if you're living, for instance, in Goldsboro and you have a a, um, a 336 from Greensboro phone number, make sure that you let them know I am in Goldsboro or I'm in Wayne County. So they connect you to resources that are local because otherwise they're going to send you, to the closest resources based upon your your area code.
0: Okay, okay. Now let's get into the more into why this is happening within our community. Apostle Carmena, could you share with us, Miss um, Miss Herring? I'm calling her Miss Herring because she is such a professional, and I want please to make call sure that I me Ruby. Please call me Ruby okay well Ruby <laughs> um, could you share with us exactly what is you know why are we seeing such an increase um, within the community
1: the the main reason is people want the pain to end and that's the only way that they know how to make it end um, there is there, there's a gentleman that tells his story um, when he attempted. He's one of few that that survived a jump from the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and this mm. really speaks to, you know, wanting the pain to end. Um, and he, so he's not, he's not from the black community, but I think his story is so powerful. So anybody that's listening, if you just want to Google Kevin Hines um, and, and there's uh, lots of YouTube videos about his story, but essentially what he said, he was around 17 or 18 at the time. And he was hallucinating. He had bipolar disorder. He was hallucinating. And he had been up for like a period of 24 to almost 48 hours hallucinating. And the voices in his head were telling him to die. And so he tells the story. He gets on the bus, goes to the Golden Gate Bridge, and um, he's the last person to get off the bus. And he gets off. He goes up to the bridge and he's leaning over the edge of the bridge sobbing. Um, And the voices are still saying, I want you to die. A tourist comes up and asks him to take his take. Would he take her picture? And he talks about her having an accent. And so he was like, yeah, I want to do something good before I died. He said, but he, he said, so he took after he took a picture, he took a deep breath, climbed up on the rail. And jumped. And he said, as soon as his hands left and feet left that rail, the voices went away. They stopped. Mm. They stopped. And so he was like at midair as I'm falling, he said, I immediately began to say, oh, God, I don't want to die. Oh, God, I don't want to die. And so that story just highlights the main reason that I think a lot of people take their lives. They want the pain to end and the pain can be any from any number of things, whether it's abuse, whether it's from mental health challenges like Kevin talked about, whether it's from some other thing, right? The pain is so great that they just want the pain to end. They don't feel like they can get better. And so they 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 feel that their only out is to take their lives. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um. Now, you know, again, we have to be gentle with this subject. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to um minimize anything so what what is the pain I, I I you know I'm a lay person I don't understand what is the pain is it a, mental pain? Is it a physical pain is it different
1: from person to person it varies from person to person but it's often all of those so for my daughter her pain was she's a twin they're fraternal twins so she looks a lot different than her sister Tamron is the twin that that um, was that had suicidal ideations. So she's built like her mama. She's a big bone girl and has been all of her life. And her sister is very thin. So you got self-esteem and feeling different. I've got this twin, but I look so different from her. I look so much much more mature than her. And she looks like a little baby still. And then you've got um, she loses a person that she has a very strong relationship with. Her and my mother were so very tight because we lived with my mom um, 14 months. Um, they were from two and a half to almost four years of age. And so she she stayed with us the first three months that they were born, and then we lived with her from two and a half till they were almost um, four. So she had a really close relationship with my mom. And so when my mother passed, even though she knew that my mom had cancer, she still died and left her. And so her mind, the people that love you die and leave you. And as Mm. she was growing up and we started to see some of those behaviors, I remember I said to her at one time, again, thinking about how I was raised, I think it's important that folks – understand that we, you and I talked about this. Words matter. The words that we say, not only to our children, but to each other, they matter so much because I remember there was a time when Tamron was acting up and I said, if you don't act right, I'm going to put you in a car and take you down to Wake County Human Services and they're going to have to find you somewhere to live. It's kind of that scared straight stuff, right? That we know doesn't work. But I still thought because I was raised by a parents that grew up in the Great Depression that I could scare it out of her. Many years later, my child was probably 18, actually. This is right after she graduated from high school. We were talking one day, and she brought that up. And she'd carried that for almost 10 years, and she said, I didn't think you and Daddy wanted me. And mm. so that, that's the pain, feeling neglected, feeling not wanted, feeling not loved. And sometimes it's physical pain when we look at individuals Um, that um, we've seen the, um, oh, my goodness, uh, where individuals kind of with the Dr. Kevorkian and and individuals that the medical suicides, assisted suicides, Mm. individuals that live in chronic pain, right, they think about the quality of their life and they don't want to go down that road where the quality of their life is going to be diminished. So they want that pain to end and they take their life. So it's a combination varying from person to person, but typically it's because there's some type of physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain that they've experienced that makes them feel like they're not loved. No one cares about them and nobody wants them.
0: Okay. Um, Apostle Carmina, are you in with us now? Can you hear us? I know she's texting, but um, Ruby, Let's talk about the pandemic. Now, because we know. Mm -hmm. Hello. We know that Uh there was Uh a lot of, you know, we were isolated, Mm -hmm. stay in the house. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of things happened that we saw come up, whether it was um, increase of child abuse, domestic violence um, and suicide. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, in the black community, especially because of the economic disadvantages Mm -hmm. in some, some areas (laughs) of within our community, do you feel that that played an increase in the, um, uh, it is a factor in the increase of the number of suicides within the black community?
1: Absolutely. Um, Because we lost that interpersonal connection. So even though we knew that we were being socially distanced and socially isolating because the the coronavirus could take our lives, we still as human beings need that human connection. And so what we found is that a lot of individuals out of that fear just totally withdrew completely and they didn't stay connected with their communities. And so with that social isolation, you start to feel, you know, disconnected. You start to feel like, you know, nobody cares about you because folks aren't reaching out. And so absolutely, that absolutely played a part into it because, excuse me, as human beings, we, it's, it's a critical that we have that, that connection. And that's why I know one of the things that I was very intentional about, me and some of my girlfriends, we started having Sunday brunches over Zoom. And we were like, you don't have mm. to dress up. <laughs> Literally, there were days some of us rolled out of bed, pushed our hair aside. But we got together. We had our own food, whatever our beverage of choice was, whether it was tea, coffee. One girl had a Mimosa couple Sundays. And we just connected because we, we did that before the pandemic. And we didn't want to lose that connection. And so I think we, we've, we're seeing a lot of people that lost those, those connections with all of their groups. Um, especially in that initial shutdown phase, it, it, it did impact us greatly in terms of increased mental health challenges and, and suicides.
0: Okay. Um, so what do you feel is the, um, how do we get back out of this? Um, yeah. Because some people, you know, like people, there's a saying that you can get stuck in certain places, certain mm-hmm. areas in your life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there could be people that might be still stuck in that mindset of um, isolation um, as far as as, um, the pandemic, Mm -hmm. the relationship to to be able to get back out into the world. What what are you what is your suggestions on that? So I think,
1: you know, a couple of things, um, looking at some of their history. So, for instance, there are several risk factors that are associated with whether or not an individual is at increased risk for dying by suicide. But just looking at, um, you know, what types of relationships do they have with other people and helping them reconnect with folks. I think that's that's key building those connections, those those relationships. And sometimes it's as simple as sending a text that says, Hey girl, how you doing? You don't even need to respond, but I was just thinking about you because oftentimes when we're not able to physically get together, like we were initially, we think folks have forgotten about us and that's often not the case. Mm -hmm. And so looking at, looking at reestablishing some of those relationships, I think is key. I think also thinking about, um, you know, does this person have a medical condition or an existing mental health condition? So we know that individuals that have heart conditions, individuals that have diabetes, and it's rampant in our, both of those are rampant in in the black community, those two medical conditions alone put us at greater risk for developing depression. And so if we know Mm. that continuing to reach out to someone. So if I had known at two and a half when Tamron was diagnosed, with an enlarged heart, if I had known then that that would put her at greater risk for depression, I might not have thought those signs and symptoms that I saw was her acting out. I might've looked at it differently and and been like, hmm, this may be some anxiety or depression, right? And so just thinking about some of those health conditions that they may be experiencing that may put them at greater risk and just checking in with them. Um, And then the other thing I think that is key is just really around, you know, making sure that they have somebody to talk to. And I think sometimes, you know, those of us that like to help people feel like, oh, I want to put on my cape and I want to be, I want to be AZ's go-to person. I want to be Apostle Carmina's go-to person. I want to save the day. And some days y'all just might not even want to talk to me, but there's somebody (laughs) else that you can talk You know what I'm saying? So there's there's somebody Mm -hmm. else. So one of the things that I said to my girls and my husband, I don't care if you don't talk to me. But you find somebody that you can trust, that
0: you can share what you're dealing with,
1: with right? Because they need to have that person yeah. to, to
0: talk stuff through with. Now, you said something very interesting, um, and I want to go back to it, that there are pre-existing medical conditions that yes, give ma'am. you a higher um, likelihood mm-hmm. of committing suicide
1: So it's, 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 it's medical conditions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's medical conditions tied to mental health conditions. So, um, it's not a direct correlation to death by suicide, but what we know is that there is research that shows one study that I saw several years ago that was kind of eye opening for me in particular was that men that have open heart surgery within 36 to 48 hours of that open heart surgery. The physician, the cardiologist, and nursing staff are noticing some signs and symptoms of depression. And so, if you know that you have, so we all can probably rattle off, we have a history of diabetes, different types of cancer, hypertension. But how many of us can rattle off mental health conditions that that are in, in our family history? And so, depression, depression, and anxiety. Um, are two of the most common mental health disorders. And we see depression especially um, being a greater risk for individuals with heart conditions and with um, diabetes. And so those are just two. Uh, Individuals with with, um, chronic pain. So, like, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Thankfully, it's managed, so I don't have a lot of pain management, pain issues that I deal with. But for individuals that do, we see that have chronic, live with daily chronic pain. So think about fibromyalgia patients. They are at greater risk for developing depression, which is depression in and of itself is a risk factor for dying by suicide. And so it's connecting that physical health condition to a mental health condition. And that's why a lot of people, oh, I don't have a mental health problem. I'm not gonna develop a mental health problem. You have a brain, you're at risk for developing a mental health problem right and so just thinking about how can you maintain mm-hmm. physical health but also your mental health um, and well-being as well
0: okay now prior to these types of surgeries or doctors because i don't experience mm-hmm. any of these you know medical conditions do physicians discuss this with their patients
1: oh that's a really good question so <laughs> Physicians are better than they used to be. So it, it, as research has gotten better around the connection and the correlation between physical health and mental health, doctors are starting to, to know more and, and have these conversations. We're seeing a lot of um, primary care practices that are actually integrating mental health professionals within their practice. And so many of the, your viewers and your listeners may have probably been to a physical therapy appointment where you sit down that first physical therapy session, they start asking you some questions. And one of those questions, I remember the last PT appointment I went to several years ago, one of those last questions were was, have you thought about killing yourself? And I was like, yes, y'all asked the question, right? And it's because data is now out there where the medical field knows now that there's, there's correlation between those physical health conditions. And oftentimes, people are more likely to go to their primary care physician before they'll be willing to go to a mental health professional because there's not as much stigma if I go to my, my primary care doc. You see what I'm saying with that? And also, access to your primary care physician is easier. It's a cheaper copay to go to my pr- primary care doctor than it is to go to my therapist. So that's why we're starting to see a lot what we call integrated care where me- the medical profession is starting to pay more close attention to physical health conditions and how they may impact a person's mental health.
0: Okay. Now, um, I want to pause here. I want to let all the Facebook users know that you have to, um, Facebook has enacted privacies. so we don't know who you are on live streams anymore. So if you want us to see your name, you have to give it permission in the chat when you respond because we would, if if there's anyone in the chat that needs any help or have any questions, now is the time to ask. Whether it's you or your loved ones, now is the time to ask these questions. This particular person, which we don't know who it is, said they were never told by their physician, they would never ask the question. Um, okay, we see who it is. Um thank you, Apostle Carmina. Um that about regarding um different medical conditions. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me.
1: Yeah. And and so what else the other thing that I'll say too is that a lot of the, what I call old school docs, right. They've been practicing medicine for a long time. They were trained in a day and time where stigma around mental health was real and they didn't talk about it. Right. That's, that's not the way that they were trained. Um, And so what we know is that a lot of the younger physicians that have been practicing within the last 20 to 25 years were trained totally different where integrated care, talking about mental health, um, as part of their um, med- medical training, was a, was a big piece of it, and so there are going to be gaps. I also think geographically, because I know, um, you know, growing up in Sampson County, um, my guess is there probably uh, there are a lot of old school docs still there, and they. I'm not sure of how many of them might still might ask that question or might put two and two together to make the connection and say, hey. This is this is a, a an op- this is something that you may face. I know when Tamron was diagnosed with her slightly enlarged heart in 2005, the pediatrician never said anything about it, mm. um, about it being a correlation, and even her cardiologist didn't mention it to my recollection. But as I as we went along this journey with her mental health and mental illness and I became educated and did my own research, I started to learn more about that, that connection. So one of the things that I'll say to folks that are watching and listening is be your own advocate, right? Yes. And, and saying to your doctor, yes, they went through some world-renowned training. Yes, they are the professional, but you know your body. Advocate for yourself and say to them, this is how I'm feeling and be honest about it. Cause sometimes when, when, when docs ask, you know, how, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling fine. But you know, last night your head was hurting, your back was hurting. You've been feeling like, you know, nobody cares about me. So tell them what you're feeling because they can't help diagnose, right. Or help find a treatment plan if you're not telling them what you're experiencing. And so that said, one of the common things that I think, you know, I encourage folks to, if they have an opportunity to take this training that's called Mental Health First Aid, it's a really good training because it provides you with information about some of those signs and symptoms. It's not training you to be a counselor, but it's saying to me as a layperson, I know what these signs and symptoms look like and I know that they vary and I know how to have a conversation with somebody because what we know is that um, if you're paying attention to those signs and symptoms and you're reaching out and you're connecting people with the help, suicide is preventable. Mm-hmm. Suicide is preventable. Yes, there are situations where people die by what we call spontaneous deaths by suicide, where it's reactionary, but the majority of suicides are preventable. And some of the data that I've seen over the years from the, um, this group that's called the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, that they've released talks and the American um, Federation for Suicideology, where they do a lot of research around suicide, is that individuals that die by suicide, in most cases, most cases, I think it's about 60 to 65% of them, have seen their healthcare professional within 60 days of dying. What? So think about that. With most folks that die by suicide, have seen their healthcare professional within 60 days of their death before their death. And so there's an opportunity there, I think, for healthcare professionals to pay attention to those signs and symptoms. And we're seeing that change as changes somebody in the in the chat mentioned. Um, but also as human beings, be your own advocate. Advocate for yourself. You know when something's not right with you. I was that person for my child. I had the pediatrician tell me for both of my girls. Oh, they're fine. They'll grow out of it. And I looked and I was like, lady, something is wrong with these kids. And I don't know what it is because they were just all over the place acting out. I couldn't manage. And my husband and I were just really overwhelmed. And it took me breaking down in her office, like I'm not leaving. And I I said, I'm not leaving here until you find a plan. And I was in tears. And she, again, white lady with a big, with a big pediatric practice here in Wake County. She kind of Oh my goodness! What now? Took me outside in the hallway and kind of tried to talk me down. And I was like, "No, I'm not leaving until you help me find out what's going on. What what my what my what's going on with my kids?" And that was the point that we started getting connected with folks that were starting to do assessments. The pediatrician's office started to do assessments for ADHD on Talia, and then we connected with the pediatric with a, a pediatric counselor for Tamron. And so, advocate for yourself. Absolutely, advocate for yourself and those that you love.
0: Yes. Now, I'd like to know. Um, now that we know that that there are certain medical conditions that could um, spark the suicidal thoughts, uh, is it the medication or is it the actual? I mean, the medicate is it the medication for the um, con- medical condition that they have, does, is that what sparks suicide? No, nope. so
1: in, in, in most cases
0: the procedure. Go ahead. No,
1: it's, it's, not the, it's not the medication in most cases. It's the chemical um, imbalance caused by the illness. So when folks have a heart condition, um, their, chemi- their biochemistry is off when they have diabetes. Hypertension, their their body, their biochemistry is off. So all of those chemicals in the brain um, get off, get out of line and out of sync, and so it's that discrepancy in those um, those brain chemicals that causes the, the increased risk for developing the the mental health disorder that could then lead to um, um, lead to suicide. The other thing too about medical conditions I'll mention that I think it's important folks when I talked about earlier um, the importance of knowing your family history around mental health conditions because data also shows that individuals with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder those are genetic genetically passed on so when we were having my daughter Tamron assessed for um, she had been diagnosed with anxiety and depression at this point, but we thought that we might have had another diagnosis um, that we might have missed. And so her psychiatrist was doing some evaluations and she asked family history. And I was, and I knew my side of the family. I knew that my mom's youngest brother had schizophrenia. So I shared that family history, but I did not know that my husband's side of the family, he had a great uncle, I think it was, that had bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is huge in terms of generational passing. So just like um, it's, it's, it's high likelihood that if, if my grandparents have hypertension, that I'm going to develop it or, or, right. or diabetes, right? The same thing goes for um, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. And so we, I didn't know that. And so when the doctor asked, I was like, no, nobody has bipolar disorder. And we talked to his mom later. and She's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, "Uh, dude, you didn't tell me. And so that's why it's important that we, because in the black community, we are huge on keeping secrets. We have all probably heard family stories about Uncle Junebug that that big mama kept in the back room. Right. Or we sent auntie so and so up north or down south because they weren't quite and I'm using air quotes quite right in the head. Right. But it's important that we call it what it is, right? We call it what it is. It doesn't mean that they're not a good person. It just means that they have a brain sickness. And they deserve right. to get treatment for that brain illness, just like we would get them for their heart condition, their cancer. And so having these conversations within your families to know, it, and it shouldn't, to the Facebook user, it says what goes on the in, in the house stays in the house, it shouldn't. And I'm not saying go out and blaring to everybody your business. But what I am saying is that if you know you have a family history of a mental health disorder or somebody has died by suicide in your family, have a conversation with your healthcare professional about that, because it does put you at greater risk.
0: Yes. And I like what you said about brain sickness. <laughs> this, you know, if we'll call, you know, let's let's. Right. If we. If, we have to rebrand something to make it acceptable mm-hmm. within the black community so that stigma goes yeah. away we will definitely get some help yeah absolutely um yeah. now yeah because i and i i'm glad you um stated that as far as because i remember Back in the day when people said, you know, just that something ain't right with Uncle Bob or Mm -hmm. Aunt Sally or whatever. And um, but nobody would say exactly what it was Mm -hmm. because but they they did not have the information even that we have today. And as you discussed, there is um, even the physicians are just getting to the point where they're you know when someone come in and they're going to have a certain medical procedure that they even let the people know that um there is a predisposition or mm-hmm. a poss- higher possibility mm-hmm. that they will be having um these ideas mm-hmm. my yeah. facebook one of my facebook users said let's use correct terminology Yes, we will use correct terminology, but we're talking about the people that still have that stigma. If it means it is save a life, I can say brain sickness. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we want to use the correct thing, but some people just will not accept mental illness in their family. Mm -hmm. They just will not. Yeah. And and especially within the black community, because there is such a stigma right. um, in that. Right. So yeah. um, we definitely want to, you know, what, you know, sometimes, you know, we can get so technical, but we want to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. sometimes to get the yeah. necessary help, because this type of sickness, mm-hmm. um, there's no coming back from this. Right.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, you make a very good point. I think that, you know, when we think about language, call it what it is, but like you said, recognizing that some people, it's still difficult for people to say mental illness. It's still difficult for people to say bipolar disorder. And part of that is because of the shame that we feel. Because oftentimes people feel like, oh, you, you can choose not to be depressed. And as a depressed person, I will tell you, there were days after my mama died, I did not want to get out of that bed for nobody.
0: Oh, when my mother died, I'm going to tell you, I laid in the bed for um, a month. Mm -hmm. I, you know, God is good. Um, I was, I had a friend Mm -hmm. and he came over every day Mm -hmm. to cook, clean um, do whatever I needed to need it done. And I thank God that I was self-employed. Right. Um, I just could not, Mm -hmm. I I, I, I could not, the only thing I wanted to do was just, you know, Mm -hmm. I never thought about, you know, going to the next level, but I, I was in a very, um, deep depression.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so that said, I think, you know, a depressed person, especially a person that's living with depression, their brain, it, it really comes down to the chemicals in their brain. Just like with folks that have diabetes, your your pancreas isn't producing enough insulin. With mental health challenges, your brain is producing either too much or too little of certain chemicals. It's the same. It's just a different organ. And so that's why it's important that we, that we talk about it and recognize that it is just as important as physical health. And knowing that a person that is depressed, if they could snap out of it, they absolutely would.
0: Oh yes, I would have definitely got up out of bed.
1: Because you know what,
0: Right, and I'm glad you made that point, that the brain is a part of the body and an organ, just like your liver. You know, if you got liver disease or if your pancreas about to burst, I mean, you're rushing to the hospital. You're rushing to get some help, you know. So we have to retrain ourselves and rethink um, and educate ourselves to think to a a, a different way about um, mental illness.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, here's the thing, too, is that – in, we talk about mental illness, we talk about the stigma around mental illness, we talk about the stigma around suicide, we talk about, we don't talk about the stigma around substance use, right, Mm. Uh, because substance use is a mental health condition, it is a brain disorder, it's a dependence on a substance in order to function, and so Oftentimes I've heard people over the years growing up, especially you you can stop drinking if you want to. He can stop drinking. And just knowing that if it was that easy, don't you think people would stop if it was that easy? Think about people that are smokers. My mom was a smoker for all of my life. And even when she was down to her last days, um, she had lung cancer. And she did really good and has stopped. And then we, when she was down to within the last two weeks of her life, she was like, I want a cigarette. And I was like, you know what? Give it to her. Because her life, her, right. her days are numbered. And but she had done really well up until that point. But knowing that if people could not do, not use the substance or not have depression or not have suicidal thoughts or not have episodes of mania, they would not. If they had a choice, I guarantee you they would not. And so knowing that this is something they truly cannot help, the brain controls the rest of our body. Mm -hmm. Just think about that. I want folks to think about that. If your brain is not working, the rest of your body is not working. So taking care of your brain is important because individuals that have, there's one particular, this is going back to the physical health piece and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop and turn it back over to you. But there's a piece of data out there that speaks to the fact that individuals with, um, okay, so if I have diabetes and you have diabetes, AZ, and all you have is diabetes, but I have diabetes and let's say bipolar disorder, I'm at greater risk for dying sooner than you are. Mm. Not because I'm going to take my life necessarily because of the mental health challenge, but this is the reason because of my mental health challenge, I'm less likely to take care of my diabetes. I'm less likely to take insulin, right? I'm less likely to eat right. I'm less likely to exercise because of my bipolar disorder, experiencing episodes of mania and depression. And so the data don't lie. The data does not lie. And so knowing that, that puts you at greater risk of just dying sooner because you have that co-occurring, what we call co-occurring mental health condition. It's important that we have these conversations and folks learn about what, what, how, how their lives or the lives of their, their, there's those that they love may be impacted so that they can find a true treatment plan to manage both aspects of their, of their health.
0: Let me ask you a question. Um, when you find someone that um, is diagnosed with, let like you said, diabetes, okay. and and they, you know, don't do what like you stated, mm-hmm. what they should do, mm-hmm. um, would you encourage people then to seek, you know, help them seek? um some form of mental health assessment right.
1: so this is what i would do so if i if i know of someone and, and i talk about this in one of the trainings that i do if you know somebody that has done died- we're
0: going to talk about that training everybody excuse me uh ruby um i'm going to give you the information at the end of the show because she has these wonderful classes that you need to have um but we want to make sure we get the information out first and we're going to put her information blaster Information out, so you all can get her. but um go ahead. yeah so um if 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 in my training, I talk about if somebody has
1: diabetes, for instance, we know that that puts them at greater risk for developing depression. If you notice these signs and symptoms, if you notice the change, you notice that they're withdrawing from people. You notice they're they're not hanging out with the same people that they hang hang out with most of the time. Have a conversation with them and say something like, you know, I noticed that, you know, because we all have heard people say, I noticed I missed you at church Sunday. Where were you? Right. Mm -hmm. And so say the same thing. You know, I noticed you haven't been hanging out. I noticed you haven't been coming to our weekly breakfast. Or I noticed you haven't been doing this or whatever the case may be so that they know, number one, that you're that you that you're paying attention. And then the next thing will be is, you know, I'm really concerned and how long have you been feeling like this, right? So if they start talking about, you know, I just haven't been feeling good, I've been, because with depression, we saw with my daughter acting out, so throwing things, fighting. A lot of adults with depression, we withdraw. We don't want to talk to anybody like you talked about laying in bed. And so if we, if we start asking them, how long have you felt this way? And if they start saying, you know, a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months, ask them have you talked to your doctor about that so we don't even have to bring up mental health professional because that may put a Mm -hmm. wall up but just say have you talked to your doctor about that right just like if we knew that their blood sugars were bouncing back and forth all over the place we'd say you better talk to that doctor about to get that sugar in together in in the line right so have Mm -hmm. you talked to your doctor about that and if they say no I, i i'm not interested Often, sometimes, what happens is when we when we make the suggestion, they're like, "No, nope, nah, nothing wrong with me. I, I'm good. I just need to rest, or I just need to do this." We're like, "Okay, well, if you don't want help, then I'm going to go on about my business." And that's the last thing that we need to do. And so, what I tell folks to do is let the person you you've concerned about them, you notice this, and then just say, you know, just consi- just think about talking to your doctor about this, right? And then a couple of weeks later, a month later, circle back. Hey, Z, last time we were talking, you were talking about, you know, not getting out of bed. Did you ever talk to your doctor about that? So circle back because we have to meet the person where they are. Some folks are not ready to talk about it right there in that moment because they may feel shame, right? They may feel shame. They may feel like, you know, well, I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should be shouldn't be feeling like this. They may think something's wrong with me. And so don't further distance yourself from them because they don't want help. Circle back around to them and let them know, you know, check in. You know, did you talk to your doctor about that? Um, Because think about this. You know, many of us have gone to the emergency room or urgent care. And let's say we go to the emergency room because our back is hurting. And they give us the muscle relaxer and the pain medicine. We're like, good, I got medicine. I can pop these pills and I can feel better, right? But then they Mm -hmm. also give us this document, and I'm just going to pull up a random piece of paper. They also give us this document that's this long list of, you know, things you need to do, some exercises, how we need to sleep differently. And we put that paper off to the side because we got our muscle relaxers and our pain medicine, right? And so weeks and months go by where we are out of pain medicine, we're out of the muscle relaxer, or we decide we don't want to take those no more. And then we find this paper that says, oh, do these exercises. And we're like, oh, let me try those exercises now, right? And so because we're willing to try them at that month or two months later, because we are in a different place, because the pain is gone, the crisis is gone. And so we want to do more preventative stuff where we do those exercises. And so think about it like that. Circle back around to the person and say, hey, did you have a conversation with your doctor about that? Because... If it goes on, those signs and symptoms last for at least four weeks or more, then there's something going on that needs to be further assessed by their medical professional. And so ha- suggesting to them to talk to their doctor, but don't turn your back on them and say, well, you know what? You don't want help, then fine. If you want to be like this all your life, fine. And these are things that I've heard people say over the years to, to, to my friends and to, to some of my family members. And that's... Puts up that wall where people feel like, okay, well, they really don't care about me, then, right? So if I if if I'm am feeling really down, or if, if Az is really feeling down, and that's what I've said to her, well, then go on. If you want to hurt, then just hurt. When she's ready to have this conversation with me, because now she has the words to put in to the words to describe what she's feeling, she's not gonna come back to Ruby because Ruby was all um, judgmental. Mm. Right? And so right, right. she may come to, to Carmina because Carmina left that door open and said, you know, well, I'm just worried about you. I'm going to check back in. And so keeping that door open, because as black folks, we and, and, and it's we have to break the cycle up. But well, that's how I was raised and I turned out all right. Mm-hmm. My question is, did you really? Right? Did you? Did you really? You're managed. You're surviving. You're not thriving, though, in many cases. And so. Changing that language and how we talk to people and how we talk about mental health challenges um, and substance use disorders is key because until we start to change how we how we have those conversations and still we stop being judgmental. My mama said something to me growing up that I will always remember when we talk about um, those of us that are Christians and how judgmental we can sometimes be. My mama used to say, you don't have a heaven or hell to put me in. Only God can do that. And so why are we then as black folk, particularly black Christians, judging somebody for their behaviors that's caused by an illness? Right. Who are we to judge? Leave right. that. We have to be more God like and, and- more open.
0: Yes, exactly. And I, and I want to inject here because, you know, we're a Christian network and everything. Don't end with, if, if you say, ask someone how they're doing, and, and the Apostle Carmita always laughs at me about this. She always asks me, how you doing? I'm, and my favorite thing is, blessing out of favor, blessing mm-hmm, out of favor. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, let's get real with people. Yeah. yeah. If you're going through um, issues, if you're struggling or someone you know that's yeah. struggling, let's be truthful find someone you can trust and if you don't have someone you can trust the number is below yes. you can call you can text that's why it's been streaming throughout the stream because mm-hmm. <laughs> i want anybody to do that watch yeah at any point to not have the opportunity to call right um now I want to I and mean, this is so good I s like I want to keep you here but I know look I'll be talking all night but I want to <laughs> ask um one series of questions and then we'll get into the other part um where does medication for mental illness whether it be depression um, bipolar schizophrenic how does that come into play and uh, discuss that just a tad bit. And you, everybody, we're just going to have to come back. Matter of fact, you're going to have to just contact her directly. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, go ahead. That's, um, that's a
1: really good question. Um, you know, here's what I say about medication as it relates to mental health conditions. Everybody has their own belief about medicines, whether they work or not. We all look at those inserts that say, do not, you have all these side effects, right? But here's the thing about medicines as it relates to mental health challenges. An individual in most cases will not need medication for a long term mm. to manage their mental health condition. So think about it. There are folks that are diagnosed with diabetes that only need to take that pill for a certain amount of time until they get their numbers down and then they know how to they learn how to manage it through eating and exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing goes for, for, for mental health conditions. Oftentimes we may need the medication to get us stabilized. stabilized until we're able to develop the tools and the coping mechanisms to manage those symptoms that we're dealing with. Right. And then we may not need it ever again. There are some of us and I say some of us because I have been on an antidepressant since 2005 and I kept tried to not, tried to 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 stop taking it and i just i can't and so i have come to realization i'm going to be on that for the rest
0: of my life but you know what i'm and there is no shame i mean no shame. Just like you said if you if you have a if you have a diabetes or if you have high blood pressure and the doctor said you're going to be on this for the rest of your life you have no problem with taking it for the rest of your life right right exactly
1: and so so i have and so what i i have embraced that that helps ruby be true to who ruby is because on days that I don't take it, I am, I am I cannot function. And so what I say to folks is, I don't want to take another medication. I don't want to do this. You may only need it for a short amount of time, just like therapy. Most folks with mental health conditions don't need therapy for the long term. They just need it long enough to stabilize and develop positive coping mechanisms to manage mm-hmm. those signs and symptoms. And so I am a believer of everybody needs a therapist, if nothing else, to help you talk about life, right? You may not have a mental health condition. You just may need somebody to talk about your, your, your cousin and them, your sister and them, the husband and them children, right? Have that third-party person to help you process it because what happens, and, and, and I'm, I want to speak to my black women especially. We Go have ahead. been programmed, and I'm saying we because I was programmed. We have been programmed to be that strong black woman.
0: We need to deprogram ourselves, Sue. Do you hear me? Because it's killing us. And, and right. you don't, you don't know, hear any other racial group talking about being no strong woman. Right? We are feminine. Walk in your femininity. That's what I tell my women. Come on right. now. All right. And, and, go ahead. Oh. And, we're, we're, and,
1: and we're carrying other people's stuff. Right. And we Ooh. have generationally. From slavery to to modern day, we've carried other people's stuff, and and, and it's killing us. And so, again, I'm going back to personal examples because, folks, when y'all saw me log on at the beginning, y'all probably didn't know my story, that I have had depression, that I've been suicidal, that I have a child that has been suicidal and was hospitalized for 10 days. My husband was suicidal. My other daughter has ADHD and anxiety. My family lives with mental mental illness but we are thriving because we have used medication, we have used therapy, we have used prayer, all three together, to find those things that work. My daughter that was hospitalized for 10 days was on medication from the time she was eight until she was about 17. She's 19 now and she's medication free. The only medication she takes, she's off of her heart medication, She's off all of her mental health meds. She takes a sleeping pill at night. She's able to manage her anxiety and her depression through therapy, through writing and drawing. Mm -hmm. So she's developed those positive coping mechanisms. We don't have to be strong black women because there was a point in time where I said, I, I was scared to travel away because I was fearful of, excuse me, the hell that was going to break loose at my house with my child and my husband because of her, when we were in the thick of her mental health condition. And I was in parent therapy because the program that she was in at that time required us to be in parent therapy. And I had a psychiatrist that said to me, travel. And I was like, well, what if, and I'm this far away and I can't. And she said, here's the thing, whether you're home or gone, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. She's got, she's got her therapist your husband has got me. And the moment that I mean, literally, I would have pains in my chest. My chest would feel like I had a weight on it. But the moment that I start, and I would always try to anticipate. Well, what can what can what can I do to prevent Tamron from from acting out? What can I do to prevent Tamron from throwing stuff? And I was always on edge. And she said, "You're gonna end up dying." And I was like, well, what do you mean? I'm trying to support my child. And she's like, Ruby, no, you can't do this this way. You can support her, but you don't have to always anticipate. And so I was trying to be that strong black woman. That's the way my mama raised me. And the moment that I stepped back and allowed my kids to learn how to manage their own stuff, and I was their advisor, if you need a question or you need some money, come see me. But I stopped trying to figure it out. Because the the stress of trying to figure their stuff out on top of my marriage and my work and trying to build a small business, I was about to die. I'm telling you, I was about to leave this world. And so when I stepped back, it felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. So I say to black women, don't buy into that strong black woman thing. We don't Mm -mm. have to be strong. We are human. exactly we have emotions and we need to express our emotions now what i'll say to our black men black men can't express their emotions it's okay for black men to feel sad hurt angry Mm -hmm. to say that it's okay for black men to cry
0: you don't have to man up right and you don't have to pull yourself up by the bootstrap because you that's impossible you don't but right. i want to you you made a point and i want to i want to get to it i don't want to belabor you stated that you you were um you know you doing your small business so tell us about who you service because everybody you see she ruby knows what she's talking about she's really knows what she's talking about baby so, so so tell us about your business and how you know. to uh, contact you right. and everything.
1: Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I'm not a mental health clinician, um, but I have been a mental health educator for, um, oh my goodness, since 2009. No, 2000, yeah, 2009. Yeah. I've been a mental health educator since 2009. So I've done a lot of trainings, planned a lot of trainings for mental health professionals. And as a result, I've learned a lot of information. Um, I've been a mental health first aid instructor since 2014, and that training has taught me a lot. So I I know just enough about clinical stuff to be dangerous. So I don't diagnose, but it does help me have an understanding to have conversations like like we're having here. Um, but because of my family's lived experience, I've done my own research. Right. Yeah. Because even though. I was a parent that was talking to a Duke trained psychiatrist and she said, your child has, has, has depression. And I was like, no, she don't. That girl's got bipolar disorder because she's doing this, this, and this. Didn't know any better in children. Depression looks like bipolar disorder. So I say that to say, you know, I've learned a lot just through personal experiences, um, but just my professional background, I've done some work with um, my last, full-time job was with the state of North Carolina managing um, mental health and substance use training programming for um, youth in our juvenile justice system. So I've, I've had the opportunity to be at, at tables that I, I typically wouldn't have been. Um, but I just, I, I want to take care of people. I'm a social worker. I'm an, I have an undergrad in social work. So I've been a helping person all my life. Um, but with my business, what I do, I do a variety of things, but the bulk of it is working primarily with businesses, government entities, and that ranges from libraries to any other type of government agency, to nonprofits, to, to develop strategies that help them address mental health in the workplace, because we have so many people leaving the workplace because of their mental health. But I also, the other part of my work is working with um, community groups and nonprofits to do a training that's called mental health first aid Um, and mental health first aid is a training that's for the general public that trains them to recognize signs and symptoms of a mental health condition, signs and symptoms of a developing mental health crisis or substance use crisis and how to connect that person to the appropriate professional help. right? I'm not, it's not training folks to diagnose, but see something is wrong, say something, and then to do something is connecting them to that professional.
0: And, and what is the number for them to contact to get that um, training? Right. Yeah, if they want, if they're interested in the training,
1: they can reach out to me. My, um, my Google voice line is 919-578-5780. Okay. So that's 919-578-5780. Or you can also email me, um, and and I'll I'll give my email address. And you can also put post this on the Facebook page too. Um, it's Ruby, so Ruby, just like the gemstone.
0: At R. Wait, wait one second. Okay. Give me one. Give me one minute. Okay. Okay, I want to. Um add some information here okay okay <clears throat> excuse me but um i want to make this phone number available and again it is nine I, I don't i really don't want to um I don't want to take the hotline number off. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no. Leave <laughs> it, that up. You got to keep the hotline number on. Leave that up. So, yeah. Yes. Um, it is. And so now give give your um, email address. Sure. Again. It's Ruby, R-U-B-Y. I put I put the phone number in the chat, everybody. Okay. okay. Ruby. Uh-huh. At
1: rbh so rbh is are my initials ruby brown hearing so rbh wellness w-e-l-l-n-e-s-s dot com so it's ruby r-u-b-y at rbh dot com yep i see it in the chat that's it
0: okay good i'm putting it in the chat i want to make sure uh, everybody sees it, um, ruby at rbh, rbhwellness.com. Mm-hmm. Dot dot yeah. Yes, we want to make sure, um, that everyone gets this. This is what are the dates of of the class? And, and even if you want to reach out her to her for other reasons, this is um, Ruby's. Yeah, I'm, I'm going
1: to be scheduling actually um, Apostle Carmina, um, her faith community is going to be doing an adult mental health first aid class in March. Um, so there may be some opportunity for space in that. Um, but I can, all I need to schedule a class, if folks can, if you have five, at least five people, I can schedule a class for, for the community, um, that way. So reach out to me with your interests. And then if I have enough interest, I'll pull together a class. Um, and I can do it right now. I'm only training virtually
0: because, um, well, that's uh, great COVID. because we have people that watch all around the world. So yeah. if you need this training, I don't care. We don't care where you're at. Uh, You've got a phone call. If you, if you have an email, uh, email her. Right. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so I can train virtually anybody in the United States. Um, So reach out to me at that email address that's in the chat. And I'll be glad to, to talk to you about, about doing a training. Um, But it's really, the training is, it's um, a total of eight hours, but it's not all at once. You do two hours on your own, on the computer, and then the rest of it, the other six hours is um, led by me over Zoom. So it really gives folks the tools to help them develop that confidence to support people that are living with mental health challenges. So I, I I love it. Um, it has saved lives. I hear folks that attend trainings all of the time that reach back out to me and say, I use mental health first aid. Um, I did a training for a group out of Chicago in November and we b- broke it into two weeks back to back. So the first, it was, yeah, the first one, after that first um, session, I had a participant come back that next week and said, I used this with a student last week. hmm um, and so it it's it's helpful it it provides that confidence to ask some of the questions that we've talked about here tonight um so yeah definitely reach out and and we can have conversations about that training
0: great well everybody i mean i you know this has been so fantastic and i want to thank everybody for tuning in and um joining in the conversation and for the replay crew you know we love you Replay crew, we know you out here. Um, again, if please like, share, and subscribe, definitely share this video with everybody you know, because you never know. You hitting the share button mm-hmm. on this video could save someone's life. Absolutely, It might be one life. It might be thousands of lives. So please share, share, share this video with others uh, because we never know what someone is going through. I, I, you know, a lot of people looked at Miss USA um, 2019. They were like, I mean, in utter shock because yeah. how could you imagine such a beautiful woman with so much, you know, she's a talk show host. She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. I mean, yeah. you know. Living so, you so much never pain. never know what someone yeah. is going through. And it's important for us to get this information out in our community. And this training um, that Ruby has, you know, she knows what she's talking about. And you know, bring if you if you work on a job, um, mm-hmm. bring this to your employer and say, "Hey, um, we might need this training." Um, call Ruby. That's her number. That's her email address. Reach out to her. Uh, I cannot express enough how much, how important yes. this is, because I'm going to tell you that one of the things that you told me that you shared tonight that I thought was wrong and I would never do. That's why it's important to share this information mm-hmm. is when you said confront head on, mm-hmm. ask the direct question, mm-hmm. I would have, I, I would have right. never guessed because yeah. i would be thinking oh my gosh that's going to tip them off the you know off mm-hmm. the edge if they're mm-hmm. in the problem but see i was wrong yeah and so anyway is there anything that i failed to ask you that um you feel that's important or you wanted to share before we end it
1: i, I two things quickly i think you know the fact that you just said I learned something tonight that changed my, my, my viewpoint. Right. Yeah. I've done just just, a lot of things, you know, just <laughs> acknowledging that. Cause oftentimes we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do that. But just really think about the information that we've shared tonight. And it's not saying you're going to always get it right. I still mess right. up. I yes. still mess up because we're human. But as you, that true, that saying, you know, better, you can do better. Right. And so just try right. to learn as much as you can. Um, and then the second thing I'll say for those um, crisis numbers that are listed, the, the the hotline and the text line, a person doesn't have to be actively suicidal to use those either. If you right. know somebody that's in distress and they like, I just need some, I don't know what's going on. I need somebody to talk. They can reach out to those hotlines as well. They, you don't have to be actively suicidal in crisis to use those numbers
0: yes and i learned that also um and you know just in all there was just so much i learned it's also the point the part about um certain medical conditions um making it more you're more susceptible to to this i i'm just i I, I'm, going have that, I'm going to have to have that. Have you back, uh, Ruby? I, I'm glad to. I'm going to. Glad I'm going to have to have you back because you have shared information that is critical to our community that we need to um, definitely um, share information, rethink, reprogram our ourselves and how we think and what we do. Um, I, I just, I, I just want to, um, I, I, I just, anyway.
1: I thank Um, you for having this conversation. Let me say that to you. (laughs) I thank you for having this conversation because black folk go to the church when they don't turn to any, turn to anyone else. And so you taking that step to have this conversation on your platforms is key to helping change how this impacts our, 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 our people. And so I thank you for, for just for, for, for that opportunity and and that foresight of, of feeling the need and feeling led to, to have this, this difficult conversation.
0: Yes. I tell you, I thank you, but it, it was truly God because I was just sitting there and just seeing person after person Mm as a person and sometimes we can get numb to certain Mm -hmm. things because it's not brought to the light Mm -hmm. if you're not in that circle where you know it's going right but you know god has a wonderful way of bringing things to your attention Mm -hmm. especially when people you know you've had there was fort the mayor of hyattesville maryland i used to Mm -hmm. live in hyattesville yeah miss usa and uh regina's son Uh, right uh, It was just like, boom, 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 boom. boom. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The Lord was like, wake up, AZ. You know, you got to bring this out. My people are dying. And I thank thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Sure. And um, again, um, did I cut you off on anything? Or you?
1: No, I I have talked to my heart's content.
0: Well, look, I I could continue to talk because it was just so much stuff. (laughs) But I know everybody, you know. We thank you so much for inviting us into your homes. We love you. Um, Please, again, like, share, subscribe. Share this video, even if you don't like, even if you don't subscribe. Share this video with everybody you know. And again, everybody, we thank you so much for inviting us into your homes. You have a very blessed and prosperous night. Goodbye.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you again. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I I just Woo!